1: And here we go, off and running on this 8th day of February, 2024. This is The Horn. Head on.live is where you'll find us on the interweb tubes. That's where you go if you'd like to be part of the merry, wacky, zany, real-time, madcap, multimedia extravaganza. That is The Horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, all time zones in between and the Great Globe Round. And where if you pop into the chat room right now, right this very instant, you'll be greeted by the early arrivers, the people who arrived before the tardy bell, which we don't have one, and that would be, uh, that would be Routes, and that would be Squeaky, and uh, capably moderated by Horn Chief Agronomist, Chief Mathematician. Bud trimmer emeritus and zimmergist extraordinaire, Roger, in Oregon. Squeaky's got some beef stew working in the slow cooker. Um, On my way home from Charleston today, I stopped at a little supermarket chain called Grant's. They've got another one in over in Oak Hill. It wasn't going to be anywhere near Kroger, so I just stopped and picked up some half and half. And lo and behold, I found cheese curds. I found Cajun-flavored cheese curds, and oh my goodness gracious, they are delicious. And for a, for a low-carb, no-carb snack that's a great big whopping load of protein, these are yummy. Anyway, hi, I'm Robin. It is, in fact, thorn-in-the-side Thursday here on the horn. Uh, I got up at... About 5 o'clock, well, I got up at 5 o'clock this morning and got ready to go to Charleston for the hearing on the Women's Bill of Rights. And long ago, Robbie Burns wrote, you know, this Scottish national poet, wrote, the best laid plans of mice and men, gang after glee. Well, in my, in my case, it's the best laid plans of weevils and women get stuck behind the state road crew somewhere around uh, Glasgow, West Virginia, and wind up walking uh, uh, up to the house chambers after the door has been closed, minutes after the tour has been closed, and does not get to speak. Damn it. Oh, I had a good one. I had a good one. But I watched others speak out against this nightmarish bill. For those of you who want to read it, it's uh, West Virginia HB 5243. The West Virginia uh, Women's Bill of Rights, which actually has nothing to do with the rights of women and everything in the world to do with, come on, you guessed it, shitting on trans people. (sighs) It gets so exhausting. But But today was not a total loss. Yeah, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But every program here at The Horn begins with gratitude. And this program is no different. And so as a consequence, we say thank you to our 8th day of the month subscribers. And by the way, this is a very big deal. Happy birthday to my sweet, sweet, sweet daughter, Margie. She's 30 today. Her mother and I have Thought back to that day 30 years ago with the worst ice storm to hit that part of West Virginia in a hundred years. We were frozen out of our home for two solid weeks because we had a mile long, mostly mud driveway that was absolutely intraversible for that entire uh, distance. And a friend of ours who was outside the room said, all I heard, it, it, it was all quiet. And in a little bit, I thought I heard a baby goat. <laughs> so I'm, ho- I'm, I'm, I'm hoping my daughter has a lovely birthday. Thank you, Marsha. Thank you, Marsha, so very kindly. For being uh, the subscriber on the 8th day of the month. I'm sure Marsha would love some company if anybody would love to. If you're new to the program, uh, this would be a great time to sign up as a subscriber. Uh, Remember, a $10 subscription through PayPal. It's right there on the main page at headon.live. It's going to set you back a little less than half of the cost of a stick of Wrigley's chewing gum per program. Yeah. That's the that's that's that is that is the bargain uh, in me in in progressive media as far as I'm concerned. And here's the cool part: you never have to listen to a single ad for stupid beats or Bose Wave radios or. Yeah, I, uh, who was who was that sketchy vitamin company that we talked about a week or so a month or so ago? Yeah, none of those. There's not a single Mister Meth Pillow ad. There's not a single encouragement to buy gold now. All you're doing with your ten dollar a month subscription is just helping to support three hours of conversation every evening, for the most part, almost almost entirely. Three hours of conversation every evening, Monday through Friday, all year long. So, if you're thinking about it, go ahead. You're not. It's not gonna. It's not gonna set you back very much at all. Now, as to the fundraising goal, it sits at eight hundred and fifty dollars. And okay, brother Deacon, you're not wrong. I think a $10 a month subscription to the horn is arguably better value than online porn. And it even rhymes. I don't know about the value of online porn though, but I'd like to think that this has a little bit more breadth and depth and substance. Yeah. Um, But uh, it's, it's, it's a heck of it's a heck of a good bargain. Ralph's challenge remains on the table. Ralphs will double the first twenty-five dollars that comes in, and uh, uh, turn your twenty-five or portion thereof into fifty. And that'll get us down to eight hundred dollars to go. And if we can do a little, if we can even do just a little bit of fundraising, we can keep the lupine pest off the porch and get the fundraising goal. Ba- keep it from going over into four digits for Friday on the Front Porch for the first full week of February. And by the way, if you are listening uh, to the podcast instead as opposed to listening live, uh, pretty please, it'll only take a minute, post a little bitty review on whatever platform you listen on and just uh, uh, tell folks you enjoy it. Because a podcast really does love a review. Like each episode. Subscribe on a couple of platforms. It helps. It helps to uh, make the program more visible via the algorithms. It most certainly doesn't have more depth, says Brother Deacon Asa. Here we go. So... Uh, today was one of one of many big days in the United States judicial system. In this case, the Supreme Court of the United States. We'll get into that in fairly short order. I did not get to listen live. However. Uh, There are a couple of things. I was sitting in the House of Delegates and couldn't. Um, Today, in the hearing on the 14th Amendment and nitwit Nero, lo and behold, a man who uh, went 10 entire years without uttering a word from the bench of the Supreme Court, I'm speaking, of course, About the most corrupt man ever to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States, and by that I mean Clarence, pubes on the Coke can, Fappy Thomas, came right out of the box with the very first question. Took a long time before they even let Katanji Brown Jackson ask any questions. The thing is he asked the first question, but he should not have even been hearing the case. He should have recused himself in light of the fact that well, his spouse ginsurrectionist Thomas may actually be still may still actually be unindicted co-conspirator number six. Over at Stand Up America, a, uh, non, a uh, non-profit uh, governmental watchdog group, Tishon uh, wittar who's a senior associate of policy and political affairs at Stand Up America, uh, giving a statement right before oral arguments today, said, The Supreme Court is facing its most significant electoral test since Bush v. Gore, the stakes are high and the American people should be able to trust that this case will be decided without outside influence. Justice Thomas should recuse himself from this monumental case. Ginny Thomas's involvement in the seditious conspiracy that led to the January 6th insurrection is a bald-faced conflict of interest. If Thomas refuses, it will not only be a blatant denial of impartial review, but also a rejection of Chief Justice Roberts' recently issued Code of Conduct. And uh, in that much vaunted but toothless code, uh, Chief, uh, the the old balls and strikes, said that uh, a justice, this is a quote, a justice should disqualify himself or herself in a proceeding in which the justice's impartiality might reasonably be questioned. Oh, there's that problem child of the law, reasonableness. See, it's... uh, You throw in a word like reasonably in there, and that's a fig leaf for a dirty justice like Clarence pubes on the Coke Can Fappy Thomas or Sammy Badbreath Alito or Beer b Brat Kavanaugh or The Handmaid or Ann's Boy Neil. Gorsok. The University of Massachusetts at Amherst released a survey yesterday. And in it, and statistically relevant, sixty-four percent of voters in the entire United States of America think Fappy Thomas should recuse from any case related to the 2020 election, given his wife's role in trying to subvert the results. This is literally the Caesar's wife rule in action. Caesar's wife must be above reproach. Well, that's a no, apparently, because... Har Har and Lee Lee apparently need Fap Fap and Jin Jin intimately associated in this case. And remember, uh, years back, Fap Fap admitted that the only people he got any kind of news and information from were his arguably treasonous spouse and, well, fat dead Rush Limbaugh. Uh, who probably has lost all interest in American politics at this point and is entirely focused on, that's right, his various and sundry relationships with various and sundry pineapples down in hell. Bill Pascrell, a Democrat from New Jersey, Uh, Even as oral arguments were taking place, said Clarence Thomas is participating in a Supreme Court hearing today on Donald Trump's eligibility after trying to overthrow the government, even though Thomas's wife conspired to help Trump. It's no wonder public trust in the court is terrible. Corrupt Thomas should resign. course he didn't and he was right there griping and grunting along. It was it, I, when I got home I did review what had taken place earlier in the day as well as what a lot of people various people with some degree of expertise were saying about it. Clarence, uh you're not Clarence, but uh, Sammy Bad Breath Alito, Clarence's bestie, jumped in to try to save a flailing Jonathan Mitchell, who was in fact representing nitwit Nero, and uh, Ellie Mistal, who was watching the hearing and live tweeting it. Uh, on behalf of the nation, said, Jonathan Mitchell was caught by Justice Elena Kagan making an argument that wasn't based on the text of the Constitution. She is sharp. Justice Kagan looked at him and said, you're not making a constitutional argument. You're making a statutory preemption argument. Is that right? With Ellie Mistal pointing out that, quote, one of the fun things about the Trump argument is that it's actually not grounded in constitutional law. And then lo and behold, I guess she got previous approval from her hubby, uh, the handmaid, came in asking questions on the side of Elena Kagan. At which point, uh, poor Petty Fogger Mitchell had to say, well, no, I'm not making a constitutional argument here. And then Sammy Badbreath restated the argument for the pettifogger because things were not going well. Norm Eisen, who was ethics, uh, ethics counsel under George W. Bush and has long done analytical work, said, Alito arguing that self-executing is a misnomer here, throwing Trump lawyer a lifeline. And then Boston University professor Jed Sugarman said, Alito picks back up on Mitchell's argument that Colorado is impermissibly adding a qualification for office. The exchange isn't illuminating, it seems clear enough from the text of Section 3. That it's a disqualification from office, i.e. a new qualification. It was a weird argument. But the important part is that we saw the two most corrupt members of the Supreme Court of the United States come rushing to the rescue of their daddy. In hopes of saving his rancid bacon. And the rest of it, from what I could gain, was not particularly illuminating. And there are a lot of people who are uh, thinking that the court was trying to find a way to find on nitwit Nero's behalf. And if they were, I'm not surprised. Uh, Flavio was terribly upset earlier, messaging me. Um, like clockwork, ill douchebag was just on TV saying, "I know it's hard to do, but I'm leaving it up to the Supreme Court." Flavio saying, "I'm sick of all the deference fawning over what is essentially an insurrectionist Supreme Court. So the Constitution means nothing. Fuck the English language. Come on, come one, come all, insurrectionists. Don't try to put Chanel number no. five and rouge on that pig." I won't buy it. Either the English language means what it says in Section 3 of the 14th, or it doesn't. If it's 9-0 against Colorado, it's still a pig, no matter how much Chanel and Rouge. Oléver. But, of course, it's never that simple. It it can't be. Because even Justice Kagan, uh, no, uh, Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson said... Ah, the word president isn't in here. And much chaos and mayhem ensued. But the other thing that's not in there is election or ballot. And you do not have to be a lifelong scholar of constitutional law and the court... Uh, such as someone like Lawrence Tribe of Harvard is, Professor Emeritus, to realize or to know that as often as they possibly can, the Supreme Court tries not to create black-letter law. They actually try to find ways to not reach the merits of the cases before them. And it's not like they don't know what world they're living in. They know that there is an immunity case coming their way. They know that there will probably be appeals of judgments from the insurrection case, an appeal of a judgment from the Florida case, and that even the Georgia case may find its way to them. And I would honestly expect them not to reach the merits of the case. And what I expect from them is to say, yep, he can be on the ballot, he can win the primary, he can lose the primary in Colorado. But the question becomes one of, can he serve? And that would be a form of kicking the can down the road. And it's not like there's not a history of the Supreme Court of the United States spending the better part of its entire history kicking the can down the road. so whatever the outcome of this particular case and we probably uh, i doubt if we're going to have to wait to the end of june for the uh, for the, for the ruling i think the i think if they can figure out a way to not rule because ruling on whether he's an insurrectionist or not is not before the court. The specifics, the charges, the elements of various crimes. And so if they can, I would expect a quick ruling, relatively speaking, within the meaning of the word quick, used in the same sentence with Supreme Court of the United States, you know, all deliberate speed we've talked about that i would just i would just simply advise some sobriety and some circumspection on all of this one case is not going to make or break the others. Now, granted granted, if the Supreme Court says nah, he can be on the ballot, Nitwit Nero will run around say saying, See, they said I'm not an insurrectionist. They will not have said any such thing unless they go just full on maggot and decide to have themselves a 6-3 decision, or a 5-4 decision, they're not going to do that. I could, of course, be entirely wrong. But I don't think I am. Uh, Meanwhile in Brazil, Flavio says... Not only is the Justice Department in that country prosecuting Bolsonaro, but for good measure, it's Supreme Court banned Bolsonaro for two electoral cycles until 2030. Apparently, they can do that in Brazil, Flavio, because of the makeup of the Brazilian Constitution. But we're not set up that way. Lewin P.A. writes, the 14th Amendment was enacted in 1868. At that time, 28 of the 37, including southern states, ratified it. I do suspect the drafters envisioned a state-by-state determination as to applicability, which might mean all sorts of different approaches, as the central government was still a rather weak entity, with states being relatively much more powerful than they are today. Compare the size of Lincoln's extremely limited staff to Biden's staff today. Sure, the the executive branch has grown, and so has every other one. And in point of fact, one of the, one of the things that uh, beer boof and Brat Kavanaugh latched onto was something we talked about in yesterday's Truncated by One Hour program. And that was the decision of then Chief Justice Salmon P. Chase serving as a circuit rider in 1869, in which he contradicted himself having previously ruled in one direction regarding Jefferson Davis and the uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, but then ruling, and this is another one of those classic cases of hard cases make bad law, a man was convicted of a crime and he objected to his conviction on the grounds that the judge who convicted him was a former Confederate military officer and thus was disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And uh, Salmon P. Chase contradicted himself from his previous ruling and said, well, no, Congress needs to have made some sort of law about that. And that's literally a year after the ratification. And I find it interesting that the framers, and and their debate is there for, for, for perusing, the framers of the 14th Amendment made a point of putting a means for relieving the disability of insurrection, that is, a two-thirds vote by both houses of Congress, but seem to have taken it as read that an insurrectionist, that everybody would just know what an insurrectionist looks like. It was 1869, after all. Back then, an insurrectionist was... Someone who had worn the butternut, taken up arms against his own country, or in the aftermath had begun riding around by night wearing sheets and pillowcases and calling themselves the invisible empire of the Ku Klux Klan. It's a sort of a Gertrude Stein test. You know, an insurrection is an insurrection is an insurrection is an insurrection, insurrection. Potter Stewart, like, I know, I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see one. So we wait and we see. And there's really not much more to say beyond that. I mean, we could I could play I could play back chunks of the um, of the hearing. Remember, we can't see the hearing because, as mere proles, we are um, too unschooled and unlettered and unwashed. To be able to actually see the justices doing their job. Because freedom. Now, on the other hand, well, some people are absolutely certain in their analysis. As I got ready to go to Charleston this morning, I noticed that they had brought on retired, deeply conservative um, federal judge Richard Ludig. And he was. He was absolutely certain in his analysis.
2: Ludig, who served on the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. President and CEO of the National Constitution Center and professor of law at the George Washington Law School, Jeffrey Rosen. He's also a contributing writer at The Atlantic. Um, Good morning, guys. Judge Ludig, I'll start with you. What is your sense of what we're going to see at 10 o'clock this morning as those oral arguments begin at the Supreme Court? Would you expect the Supreme Court to be receptive to the idea that Donald Trump should be kept off the ballot?
3: Good morning, and thank you for having us with uh, you this morning. Uh, The argument today will be historic. This case is is probably the most uh, uh, historic constitutional and political case in in all of American history. Uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, is the safety net, the Constitution's safety net for American democracy. And, And it's as if... The framers of Section 3 foresaw January 6, 2021, and they provided in Section 3 that America would never experience another January 6. Uh, If Section 3 doesn't disqualify the former president, then in my view, it would not disqualify any person at all. That is to say that the Supreme Court finds itself in a very precarious position today. Undoubtedly, it doesn't want to decide this case, and it will be looking for uh, all legitimate off-ramps to decide that the former president is uh, disqualified, but there are no legitimate off-ramps to that decision. So I think what you will see this morning at the court is the court looking, plumbing all possibilities with counsel as to how the court can resolve the case without deciding whether yeah, I think the lost. former president is disqualified. So. The interesting thing is, um, especially Judge Luca, the no legitimate off ramps. I'm wondering if you can explain that um, in your view, why there are no legitimate off ramps for, for the Supreme Court, because a lot of people have said, oh, they will they will keep Trump on the ballot because they don't want the public to lose confidence in the court. They don't want the Supreme Court, again, interfering in elections. It'll make people uncomfortable. Is that what this is about or is it about whether or not Donald Trump engaged In insurrection and then sort of gave uh, safety and comfort to those who participated in the insurrection alongside with him. It's the latter. Uh, Section 3 disqualifies any person who engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution of the United States having previously taken an oath to support the Constitution. There's no question whatsoever that the former president uh, engaged in insurrection against the Constitution when he attempted to remain in power beyond his constitutional term of four years and denied uh, President Joe Biden uh, the powers of the presidency to which he was entitled, having won the election by a vote of the American people and all of this prevented the, uh, the peaceful transfer of power for the first time in American history. This is precisely the insurrection that uh, disqualifies one under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So you're right. That is the only legal issue. But it's, there's such massive political consequences that although the Supreme Court ought not consider those. Uh, undoubtedly, they will consider them, but mm. the Constitution requires the disqualification of the former president.
2: So Jeffrey, let's remind people, because there's been all this muddling over the last couple of years about what an insurrection is and isn't, it is a violent uprising against a government or an authority. That's the dictionary definition. Replay January 6 in your mind and ask yourself what that was. Um, so. I would put the question to you that we were discussing earlier with Barbara McQuaid, which is, this is a constitutional question. It is the job of the Supreme Court to interpret the Constitution, obviously, to do this on the law. Do they consider, though, in your assessment, the implications of a decision that would keep Donald Trump off of ballot? That is to say, a large group of Americans saying, our right to vote for the candidate for whom we want to vote is being taken away by the Supreme Court.
4: The court wouldn't explicitly consider the political reaction to the decision, but it might decide that the issue is a political question, that it's up to other branches to decide, like Congress, when it counts the electoral vote. And that also suggests what some of the other off-ramps might look like. The court might decide that the president is not an officer of the United States and therefore he's not covered by Section 3. You stated the definition of insurrection, but it might hold otherwise, that uh, January 6th was a riot, not an insurrection, or that the president didn't engage in it when he called on people to march on the mall. And then finally, there's this really big question about whether states can enforce the amendment on their own or whether Congress has to pass a law before the amendment can be enforced. All of these these off-ramps, as the judge so well said, are available to the court if they want to avoid a definitive ruling. And in the oral argument, we should listen closely to see who's sympathetic to which of these off-ramps.
1: It seems like they really, really wanted an off-ramp today. And I can halfway understand why. Uh, Because that means there is some finite number less than 49 that may decide to take action afterward anyway, if this thing is upheld. And uh, Flavio, who is absolutely beside himself, convinced... That this is that, this, that, the, that the Supreme Court's going to get it wrong, and the fix is in, and that it was rigged, uh, points to the debate in May and June of 1866 when the Senate debated the 14th Amendment. And uh, one Senator Jacob Howard Flavio sends along proposed Section 3's ban on oath-breaking insurrectionists. He was one of the Republican Party's founders there in that log cabin. In 1854, at a meeting in Jackson, Michigan, Howard had written the Republican Party's platform, which began with the denunciation of slavery as a great moral, social, and political evil. On May 23, 1866, Howard suggested a clause prohibiting all persons who have participated in the rebellion from all participation in offices, either federal or state, throughout the United States. I think such a provision would be a benefit to the nation. So a week later, he introduces the Section 3 language as it presently reads. And uh, Flavio wants to say that Section 3's framers made it clear that this response to insurrection applies to presidents. And points to a quote from Senator Reverdy Johnson, a Democrat from Maryland, who said, this amendment does not go far enough. Former Confederates may be elected President or Vice President of the United States, and why did you omit to exclude them? This led Senator Lott Morrill, a Republican from Maine, to interrupt him, saying, Oh, let me call the Senator's attention to the words, All hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. And Senator Reverdy Johnson responded, in what looks an awful lot to me like sarcasm. Perhaps I'm wrong as to the exclusion from the presidency. No doubt I am. I think in 2024 we can look back with 2020 hindsight and recognize that Senator Reverdy Johnson was not wrong. Because had they put president and vice president in there, this would not be a question beyond whether or not it was an insurrection. And, of course, Nero's lawyers are trying to recast it as not an insurrection at all. It was a riot. It was a riot. That, I mean, if, as, I personally think that they were just peaceful protesters, you know, just like Black Lives Matter and Antifa. But at most, it was a riot. So maybe Jack Smith wants to go back and, just for good measure, charge him with incitement to riot. That's a crime, too. But this is a case of people involved in drafting statutory or constitutional amendment language who placed far too much faith in the future. And far too much faith in the future lawyers who would try to interpret their work. It was easy enough for them to say president or vice president. And they did not. And that is why we're where we are. (sighs) Exhausting. Exhausting. But it's not like there aren't other examples of that. Consider all the time we spent during the horror years from 2017 to 2021 talking about the vagaries of the 25th Amendment. And and, and, and how... It does not speak directly to the reason that the 25th Amendment should have been invoked against nitwit Nero had his cabinet been anything but a gang of pathetic suck-ups and lick who only found their consciences on the 7th day of January 20, uh, 2021 when, among others, Elaine Chao said, See ya, I'm out of here. And Bill Barr to prosecution said... I think I hear my mother calling and telling me it's time to wash my hair. And the people who understood exactly what he had done hit the bricks. Uh, I understand any person, Flavio. But if you are looking at the text of the statute... The absence of words they could have easily chosen means something. And we routinely talk about this in in the context of the rather simple drafting of the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, which is, after all, just one sentence, not one paragraph, like Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It says the right to keep and bear arms... shall not be, oh, what is the language? It doesn't matter. And we've talked at great length about the fact that this is legal language, term of art stuff from 1787. And that in 1787, operating primarily on the old English common law and how they wanted to change it, They used language of bailment, keep and bear arms. The word own existed in the English language of 1787. If they had wanted to say the right to own arms shall not be abridged, whatever, I'm not one of those weirdos who men- who memorized the Second Amendment. That's generally your gun humpers. But they could have said owned. They meant bailments because they were actually talking about people taking their militia guns home with them. That would have been purchased via the treasuries of the various states and communities where those militias... <coughs> Existed. But the Supreme Court, well, fat dead Tony Scalia in particular, and then later on in Bruin, the rest of the maggots, said, no, no, keep and bear actually means own. And so every American, broadly speaking, has a right to own weapons of war. We don't like it do we, when they make such obvious blunders? Completely eviscerating language that clearly speaks to an issue of bailment to insert a right to own weapons that the framers did not intend and did not speak to. But here we are. And so where we don't like it when the Supreme Court does that with something that winds up getting lots and lots of American children killed, we sure do want them to do it now. I mean, it kind of make up for the Second Amendment debacle, wouldn't it? Because in the end, that's all it is. It's just just balancing one against the other. It's tit for tat, quid pro quo. Flavio is struggling a bit. So writing a constitution is like Ryan College syllabi. I have to anticipate any and all the ways my students will try to get around doing the work. No, but if you're a lawyer, you try to craft things in such a way as to have them be unambiguous. Ambiguity is the hobgoblin of statutory construction. And the fact of the matter is, like it or not, they didn't say president and vice president. They said any person. And they said officer of the United States, which could lead a reasonable person to think that in that regard, they're talking about people who had been officers, majors, captains, generals, Senators, remember Jefferson Davis, before he became president of the Confederacy, was a senator from Mississippi. Uh, He's the one who made sure that the statue at the top of the Capitol dome is wearing some uh, chapeau confection of turkey feathers instead of a cap of liberty because he said, it is unseemly for people who are already, fr- men who are already free to be wearing a cap of liberty. There were some people who weren't already free. But he recognized a, he, he recognized an abolitionist image when he paranoia, paranoiacally saw one. As I wrote previously, Darlene in Connecticut says, Scotus is splitting the baby and it's another nail in the coffin that Scotus is not a politicized body. The three D.C. judges' decision is tight. No reason for SCOTUS to even take Trump's full immunity case. If they fucking do, then I shudder to think what the SCOTUS is really playing at. I don't know what Katanji Brown-Jackson was doing. I thought she was being a bit snarky going on with the textualist approach to the 14th. A Section 3 talk about bad lawmaking with the 14th, but... Whatevs, at least she pulled the curtain back on the elephant in the room that Trump engaged in insurrection, and if they say he didn't physically do so, there's solid evidence he wanted to go to the Capitol to be there and participate in and during that foul act. And fuck it, he has certainly given aid and comfort to his army of asshole insurrectionists. Also, I could have sworn that Gore sucks projected onto the Lawyer for Colorado that it was the lawyer's opinion that Trump is the former president. What the fuck? I was shocked and livid. Did I hear that right? My God. Why didn't that lawyer push back forcefully and state that it was not his opinion, but a fact that Trump is the former president? What the hell is Gorsuch playing at? What? Do we got two presidents at one time? Cell phoning, motherfucker. Hey, let Trump take the GOP nomination. I want to see Biden beat that asshole like a drum again. Game? Yeah. Yeah, I am game. And see, I also know what the maggot attorneys general have also said. That they will declare that Joe Biden is an insurrectionist for his failure at the southern border. And don't for an instant think that they won't do that. And it'll be then too late. To avoid any action that said attorneys general create over in various secretaries of state offices. I think I think Biden can, in fact, Darlene, beat that asshole like a little tin drum. Because, and I think that analogy is perfect for Nitwit Nero. He's a great big drum, and he only makes a noise when he's thumped. So I know everybody wa- Everybody just wants to. See- so, yeah, keep him off the ballot. That's this is the pol- This is the political portion of the equation. Keep him off the ballot. Then who's Biden run against? Some heir apparent to the maggot empire? Mrs. Governor, Ambassador, Speaker of the House, Haley? This is a White House that is ready to run against Trump. Shifting gears and candidates in midstream will be damn difficult. And if, this is another aspect of it, if he is proven to have committed the acts with which he is charged, then then there, there will have been a finding that he engaged in insurrection or similar conduct. And then he can be kept off the ballot, or more importantly, should he win, prevented from taking office? What happens, for instance, if he's adjudged a felon and the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court upon his re-election refuses to administer the oath? Yeah, you know, this is this is an av- this is an avalanche being created by a final snowflake. And the right answer is far from easy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, officers military and civilian but the fact that the language is the way it is means people get to make the argument. And this is one of the fundamental problems. If this is a self-actualizing, as Judge Luddick says, if this is a self-actualizing passage, a self-enforcing package, someone still has to enforce it. Do you honestly think that if the Supreme Court rules that he is an insurrectionist and Colorado was right to remove him from the ballot, that places like Tennessee and Mississippi stand and Alabama, not to mention Wyoming stand and Montana Stan and North Dakota stand and South Dakota stand and Idaho Stan? You think they're going to go, well, okay, so he can't be on the ballot. All right, that's fine. Jerk Jerk Deluxe Vance just this past Sunday gave an actual interview in which he said that the President of the United States and presumably others should be able to and in fact should simply ignore Supreme Court rulings that they don't like. Uh note coming in from Arnold. Uh, CNN headline earlier, Supreme Court will give Trump a soft uh, a soft win. On the homepage of CNN, it says that the Supreme Court will side with Trump. No one knows until they issue their decisions. There are also sites out there, Arnold, that say that, oh no, it's an open and shut case. Colorado's got this. When in fact, if it was an open and shut case, this case would not be before the Supreme Court of the United States. And in fact, other Supreme Courts in this country have in fact ruled that they can't do that. Arizona's done it. North Carolina's done it. Georgia has done it. Georgia did it first in regard to sporkfoot. But not just maggot states. True blue, still loyal states like Michigan and Minnesota have said, nope. At least not yet. Because it does not speak to being on the ballot And that may be the most fundamental mistake that this lawsuit made. Because there is definitely nothing about ballots in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And frankly, no, I think the whole, uh, you're disenfranchising me argument by the maggots is entirely specious and self-serving. You know who I want to have run for president? Dead Abraham Lincoln. Put him on the ballot. Yeah, but he's dead. I don't care I'm being disenfranchised if I can't vote for Abraham Lincoln. It's bullshit. And, I, you know, Arnold, you know, I think the world of you, but... Uh, No, Biden's mind as far as memory is so bad. Arnold, please, you've got to get off TikTok. TikTok is nothing but a Chinese disinformation swamp. Biden's memory is not bad. He has a stutter. He has had it since he was a child. Him pausing to make sure that he does not stutter is not him having a bad memory. My friend, please, I implore you, stop consuming this toxic, bullshit media. I don't care what the maggots believe. The maggots believe that COVID was just the flu. And now there's a million dead Americans. They believe all kinds of things. Joe Biden can barely walk. When you can see video of Joe Biden riding a bicycle. But you can't see one of Trump do even managing to walk down a ramp without holding on to someone. Joe Biden's senile. While he's not out there talking about nitwit Nero will start World War II or confusing Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi, nor say claiming that he beat Barack Obama in a presidential contest. Arnold, do you not see how disinformation works? They take everything that they know their candidate suffers from and they project it upon Joe Biden. And no, it's not that the special counsel isn't going to take action against Biden because of his memory. It's because it doesn't rise to the level of a crime the way nitwit Nero's did. Yeah, I know who I know who Nitwit Nero's lawyer was, Fabio. He was he's a piece of shit from Take's ass. And he was terrible today. That's why Sammy Badbreath had to jump in and and, and, and and swim over and save him from the sophistic soup that he had found himself doing the backstroke in. Uh, Lou in PA says, Biden would normally beat Trump, but for third-party candidates. I don't have a sense as to how other candidates might influence the outcome. Trump watched the violence for three hours and seven minutes. This is citing uh, uh, the insurrection. Oh, this is inciting the insurrection. Okay, yeah. Uh, That may be. It will have to be proven in a court of law in the criminal case. The Supreme Court cannot find him to be an insurrectionist. Because there's nothing in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that even suggests what the standard of proof is. Is it preponderance of the evidence? it would seem not to be a good idea for, because that's just more likely than not. I mean, that's a grand jury standard. That grand jury standard has already been met. If that was the case, they could say, well, we're going to go with the grand jury standard. No need to take the case. They had to take this case. Because it is a case of first impression, just like the immunity case. I'm almost certain that that nobody sitting on that court took their oath of office thinking, gee, I can't wait until I get a chance to interpret Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. There are just some things that you hope you will never have to deal with. Yeah, just like the 25th Amendment. You hope it never comes to that, because you hope we, we never have a president that unhinged. And by the way, just bear in mind, while Nitwit Nero's cabinet was a bunch of bootlicks and licks fiddles, if Joe Biden really was a doddering old fool, everybody from Kamala Harris on down would do their constitutional duty, because they take that sort of, well, seriously. Whereas, well, the maggot cabinet was just, well, they had their front feet in the trough, and they were, do, they were doing what hogs will often do, and trying to get their back feet in there too, because that means you've got the whole trough. It doesn't say that, though, Lou. Lou says the standard of proof is up to the individual states. Section 3 does not say that. It doesn't even say how it's determined. It's almost as though they wanted to do something, but they couldn't quite come to an agreement on how much they wanted to do. I remember learning as a kid that Robert E. Lee actually died without ever having his U.S. citizenship formally restored to him. And in point of fact, that was something that was done, I think, in uh, the 1970s, maybe the bicentennial year, 1976, as a sort of ceremonial act. Lou says, the DOJ report commented on Biden's memory. I realize that, but they didn't say that he was a doddering old fool. Arnold says, well, that goes back to the funding of media on our side. If he's riding a bike today, I want to see it everywhere. I I remember when it came out, it pretty much was everywhere. He was, at, uh, he was at Rehoboth Beach in Delaware. And it's not like he was shaky on it. You remember when, Deer, uh, when De- Dim Leader got on one of those uh, smart scooters? I forget what they were called. You know, two wheels, it's a platform. You pull back on the, on the, on the stick, you push, whatever. And that poor dry drunk... Promptly crashed it. But Joe Biden's a doddering old fool, so what if he can ride a bicycle? It was all over the place, Arnold. But as to funding media, yeah, that'd be great. A segue, yet thank you. Took me a minute, Brother Deacon. For a minute there I was suggesting, I thought you were suggesting I move on to another another topic. And some of y'all may be thinking that too. And we can. But no, the, the, the little thing jig was called a segue. And it was beyond the abilities of Dim Leader, who was not 81 at the time. Uh, if Congre- uh, Lou, if Congress doesn't like how the states handle the 14th, then Congress can override any such determination, however, made. Yeah, if they can get two-thirds majorities in both houses. The drafters worked in the era where states had more authority than today. Yeah. But they also intended made it uh, made it abundantly clear that this was to be a part of the federal constitution and there's again, there is nothing in section three about leaving it up to the states. What section three does is it assumes that we will have a country which at that point in time was still recovering in some places crawling out of the ashes of the civil war i'm sure atlanta was still a mess columbia was still a mess god knows richmond was just a barbecue pit but they made a certain they made certain assumptions and they are dangerous assumptions to make, like assuming that everybody will always think the same way they were thinking right then. And I'm kind of with the senator from Maryland on this. Life would have been a hell of a lot simpler if it had said president and vice president. But they they they, they wanted to get it they wanted to get it passed. And they had to have a two-thirds vote in both houses to ratify it. And there we are. Here we are. Uh, Lou says they didn't care how the determinations were made. They reserved the right to overturn them. That's also something that it doesn't say in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The states have always administered presidential elections. Each state manages its own elections. That's true. It would be a state determination which can be overridden. Then why does it not say that? I know. I, I know. I may 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 seem like I'm being schoolmarmish. I'm really not. Judges get really really finicky when they're asked to read things into statutory language that are not there in plain English. One of the first rules of construction and interpretation in the law is that statutes, amendments and the like, the Constitution itself, must be interpreted according to the plain language. It's called the plain language doctrine. You don't see the color red and assume that the people who wrote it meant green just based upon some exigency of a current problem. That is called textualism going solely by the text and decisional law in the past, but we don't have decisional law in the past here. This case has never been used against a president or former president of the United States of America. Oh, I think we're going to get an early spring because that was a failed sneeze. but you've got to you've got to have some mechanism by which to enforce this i mean it's easy to say well if you've committed an insurrection you don't get to run for office But that's not what it says. And even if it's self-executing, it can't really be that because somewhere along the way somebody has to say that, well, according to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, he can't He, he can't run. And in saying according to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, he can't run, you are inserting language into the 14th Amendment that isn't there. Because it does not speak to running, it does not speak to ballots, it speaks to holding. And that militates against the let the states do it argument too. Because what they were worried about at that point in time, they made plain that they were not merely addressing the Civil War, but the Civil War was topmost in their minds. And they wanted to make sure that none of the governors nor senators nor members of Congress who had engaged in rebellion and insurrection against the United States of America got to come back. Hence what I was talking about the other uh, other night. That you can find fo- I saw them at the Voting Rights Museum in Selma, Alabama many years ago. There was a period of time during Reconstruction when, having been guaranteed the right to vote, freedmen, not freed women freedmen went to the polls and sent black men to the Congress of the United States and to their various state legislatures. That is why the uprising that led to Jim Crow happened. You can get lost in a lot of history with this. You're back to the disputed presidential election between Samuel Tilden and Rutherford B. Hayes, in which Southern members of Congress said, okay, we'll throw our support behind Hayes, but the only way we're going to do that is if you, Rutherford B. Hayes, declare an end to Reconstruction so we can get back to the business of oppression and enslavement. And that is exactly what happened. And so the framers of the, uh, the, framers of the 14th Amendment, particularly when it came to Section 3, wanted to say that, well, Jefferson Davis would never be a senator from Mississippi again unless two thirds of the of both houses said he could be and they knew that they could not count on recently crooked insurrectionist southern state governments to make that determination of course back then having been an officer in the in the army of the confederacy was sort of self-executing you either were or you weren't and i don't think While they were worried about future insurrections, and while in fact a future insurrection took place, not in 2024, but shortly after Ulysses Grant became president, at which point he empowered a former Confederate general named James Longstreet to put down the rebellion in New Orleans, Louisiana. And along the way, former Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, who had committed atrocities during the war himself with his troops, founded the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, which which necessitated the military suppression thereof, And in part, that's why Ulysses Grant isn't hailed as one of America's greatest presidents. Because the South is still butthurt about the Klan being suppressed. But the damages, the damage had been done. Sure, Lou, insurrections were not new to them. New England states had threatened the same earlier, War of 1812 era. The first state, to, I'll add, the first state ever to talk about secession was not South Carolina, Stan. It was New Hampshire. the Whiskey Rebellion, and all of these were put down more or less militarily. I mean, if we look at the overall history of Congress trying to do one thing and not actually accomplishing their goal there's nothing better than presidential succession. When James Garfield lay dying of medical malpractice, because we talked about him a little bit, intervening and superseding causation, the country was basically without a president for six months. And that meant that the government was essentially stalled. Because the the vice president of the United States did not even have the power to be the acting president. And then it happens again in the aftermath of the First World War when Woodrow Wilson has his stroke and the Congress begs Thomas Riley Marshall, the vice president of the United States, to take the reins of the presidency at at an incredibly dangerous and delicate time. And Woodrow Wilson was useless and was not going to get any better, and that's about as close as the United States has ever been to having a woman president of the United States, because Edith Wilson, for all intents and purposes, wielded the power of the presidency, and the Congress begged Thomas Riley Marshall to declare himself acting president or president they didn't care just please do something and he said he said to the congress i will be happy to do that the minute you pass a statute that or a constitutional amendment even that gives me the power to do that and that is how we wound up with a crook from ohio By the name of Warren Gamaliel Harding as president of the United States. And he was a crook and a reprobate. He was the sleaziest president the United States had ever had up until the election of George W. Bush. Who was then immediately eclipsed by, well, it went nearer. But Warren Gamaliel Harding had the common decency to not linger in a coma or wiped out by a stroke. He just fucking died. And that's how you get Calvin Coolidge, which is how you get Herbert Hoover and all three of whom are how you get the stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression. But again, after the Woodrow Wilson crisis passed, what happened? The Congress said, oh well, don't have to worry about that anymore. until November 22nd, 1963. And even with the passage of the Presidential Succession Amendment, you still wind up with, uh, oh, who was that crazy bastard under the Reagan administration when Reagan was shot, who came to the podium and said, I'm in charge here. Was that, was that George Schultz? Something tells me it wasn't George Schultz. it was some other old hawk. No, keep talking about the SCOTUS, Darlene says. So the court also expressed serious concerns that the states could all come up with different determinations of Trump's guilt as an insurrectionist, and so he could be on some state ballots and not others. It'd be a hodgepodge, like they were concerned about the very same thing for a woman's right to bodily autonomy and privacy and to choose whether to be pregnant and, oh, wait, not. Oh, darling, no one said they weren't a bunch of stinking hypocrites. One question, though, what weight does the congressional record hold? And I'm talking about the congressional record of that time as senators were debating through the 14th Amendment, Section 3, because one senator stated it doesn't say president or vice president. Yeah, that's the president, or that's... uh, Reverdy Johnson from Maryland. Another senator from the opposite party said yes. President and vice president are covered under the general category of any civil officer, etc. And the senator that questioned it said, "Okay, you're right," and never brought it up again. It got lost in the mix. So the Supreme Court can just ignore that. I'm seriously wondering. I guess the recorded history doesn't matter. Well, it would have been it would have been better if Senator Reverdy Johnson of Maryland instead of being snarky and sarcastic and saying, oh, I'm sure I'm wrong, had said, you know, if you wanted to mean vice president and president, fucking say so. But the thing is, they were debating a text that had, yes, thank you, Irish Dave, Alexander Haig. Thank you Randy Radar. I'm in charge here. No, you weren't. And that was with the 25th amendment in place. Woof. Yes, Mark in in Florida, uh Alexander the Great Hague. I don't know why I found it so easy to forget him. No, it wasn't George Schultz though. Because George Schultz had a tattoo of a Princeton tiger on his ass. Don't ask. But they did, Darlene. You're right. They got lost. But they were also dealing with a text that was before them, and they knew that if they started amending it, that it might never become. It might, it might never be ratified. Because the same sort of arguments had transpired in 1787 when people said, hey, there's nothing in there about freedom of the press. Hey, there ain't nothing in there about guns. And Madison and Hamilton were both of the opinion that doesn't need to be there. They were wrong, by the way. But some people held out and said, no, my state will not ratify until there is a promise that there will be a bill guaranteeing certain civil liberties. And Hamilton and Madison caved. That's not me critiquing the Bill of Rights. That's me saying that they gave in and said, okay, 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 look, here's the promise. Y'all ratify the Constitution, and as soon as it's ratified, we'll draft up a Bill of Rights. And and the, the, the Virginians particularly wanted that Bill of Rights, because they had done had them a Virginia Bill of Liberties. You know, the liberties of white men to own other human beings and so forth, and have guns with which to enforce those rights. Thank you, Matt. Alexander Haig. Al Haig. Al Haig. Put that on a brain cell, Roxanne. Mark. Signing off. Mark in enemy country. Behind the corn phone. Uh, Lou says it is a very rare pleasure to experience a well-drafted statute. And again, Madison said, if men were angels, because it's always the men folk, if men were angels, we should have no need of government. And no matter how hard the lawyers try, there is going to be an argument in every statute. And mostly they do try hard. Consider uh, consider the justice of the Supreme Court, justices of the Supreme Court overturning FDR's plan to revitalize the economy of the United States. Hubert Heaver had sat through the beginnings of the Great Depression all the way up to March of 1933 and said, well, I'm a Republican. My hands are tied. The business of the government is not to help out the American people. He'd he'd been an engineer. When the great uh, Mississippi River flood of 19-whatever came along, uh, he put his administrative talents to work and used absolutely free black men and chained them together to try to keep the levees along the Mississippi from breaking. But he didn't have the pe- he didn't have the power to keep people from starving. That's just how liberty works. Sit, liberty, sit. Emilio. Wrong, Robin, it was Ed Schultz. No, it, it, stop that. Easy to remember Alexander and Ambassador Gene Kirkpatrick, says Flavio. They didn't have any lips, just underscores. Oof. So I think we've covered that fairly admirably. Now we wait and see just like we wait and see if they uh, what they how they're going to go about doing the uh, immunity argument and then there was the, uh, uh, the the babblings of Nitwit Nero earlier today Oh, uh, well, that's wild. Uh, Don in West Tennistan. Subject line, Ulysses Grant. I have a friend who was born in West Kentucky, Mayfield, who wouldn't accept a $50 bill for services. Now I know. always thought it was odd. Now I know it was passed down to him from his daddy in generations prior. Mm Mm-hmm. Because President Grant was not going to have that shit erupt on his watch and have to fight the whole damn thing all over again. He'd already seen the carnage. Ulysses Grant, whose first name was really Hiram, but they decided to turn him into Ulysses Simpson Grant. Uh, Interestingly, it would be illegal in the state of Florida to refer to the former president of the United States as anything but Hiram Grant. Because he was Hiram Ulysses Grant, and they changed it to Ulysses Simpson Grant so that he would be U.S. Grant, United States, also Unconditional Surrender Grant. But in Florida, you couldn't call him Ulysses Simpson Grant because that was not his name assigned at birth. That's how dumb this shit gets. I had a second question in that last email I sent you, says Darlene. Let me go back and find it. Um, yeah. Um, are you talking about the Gorsuch uh, with the Colorado lawyer, that it was a lawyer's opinion that Trump is the former president? Oh, that, if that's the question, the answer is fairly simple, Darlene. He was telegraphing to the man uh, to whom he owes his position and to the other maggots on the court that he's a good soldier. He's one of the good ones. He's a pick-me justice. He got bought, and he's let, let him know by that that he's going to stay bought. And yeah, I'm with you. I want to see Biden beat that asshole like a drum again. I hope. I hope. Isn't it wild to think that American freedom may die as a result of the horrors in a place like Gaza? Isn't it? Because that may be the case. If Biden should happen to lose Michigan, we will know why. Because it's not gonna be runaway numbers. But anyway, but before I go to the phones and and we are past the halfway mark of the program we got 850 dollars in fundraising to do. We are we have got a $25 challenge on the table courtesy of Ralphs and that would at least get us down to 800 if we got another hundred and one dollars in we would not be looking at four digits tomorrow for Friday on the front porch. But anyway, Nero was running off, and well, I'm sure he'll be triping at 2 o'clock in the morning, waiting for his depends to be changed. Because the CNN, the, 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 the gang at the CNN desk were just, well, having a high old time.
0: He voted very nicely, and we have tremendous support from the people of our country. Uh, they hate what's happening at the border. They hate what's happening. Just generally, we're not a respected country anymore. We're laughed at all over the world. They're laughing at us. And they hate what's happening. They hate seeing it. They love our country. They want it to come back. And we're going to do that. If you think about it, had the results of the election been different, it would be nice. Uh, You wouldn't have the Ukrainian situation with Russia. You wouldn't have had, we would not have had an attack on Israel, which was so horrible. You uh, would not have had inflation. You wouldn't have China talking about Taiwan. You wouldn't have any of the problems that we have today. And you certainly had a, a broke Iran, and now you have a very rich Iran. Iran was broke when I left. They had no money to give to Hamas, they had no money Okay, to
4: give to uh, I think we've gotten uh, all the legal analysis we're going to get out of President Trump. You know, it's odd there because Can I just this was off? actually an opportunity for him to come, to him to come odd, out and, just, and say... It well, I no, mean,
5: it's not, because it was, he wants to talk about him.
1: That last was George Conway, who couldn't quite get his breath and was coughing. And they were all laughing. You know... Yeah. Uh, Flavio says, ain't that cool? Bolsonaro ordered to forfeit passport as Brazilian police probe his allies over alleged coup. Remember you were going on about Trump going to visit Malay and Argentina, and why does he still have his passport? The probe is connected to an alleged criminal organization that acted to attempt a coup d'etat that would have kept Bolsonaro in power after his election defeat against President Lula. Yes. Different legal systems handle legal problems differently. Uh, Flavio said MSNBC also cut out ill douchebag, but CNN cut out sooner. It's the fact that they even took it, though, that well gives me pause. I mean, what was he going what was he going to say? It was actually newsworthy. Anything? I I feel like that was a big nothing. Let's see who we got on the stress line. Hey, welcome to the program.
5: Yeah, that wasn't the question that I had asked. Okay. Um, So, yeah. So um, let me preface it with this: Uh, years ago, I went to um, a good friend's husband's funeral. Right? She married somebody uh, much older uh, than than herself. She married somebody who was like thirty years her senior, um, so he died, like he was in his 80s, so I went to the the wake, actually it was a wake, I didn't go to the funeral. I went to the wake, and um, so I, I circulated around, gave her my condolences, went to talk with her mom, who I hadn't seen in years, and then um, I was standing there just kind of uh, with another you know, classmate of ours that um, we all went to high school together. And she looks at me she leans over she goes, where is he? <laughs> and it was the funniest comment. She goes, where is he? I'm like, huh? Goes, where is he? And I'm like, um, I don't know. I think he's in one of these other rooms here. I, I just haven't happened find him yet because this place is like a maze. <laughs> and she laughed and she went to talk to uh, one of the ushers. And um, I simply missed. I missed him. He was there. Um, I was looking for a coffin, but no, they cremated him. So he was up at the front. <laughs> he was on the front in a box, and I just I completely blew past it. I didn't. I he, was he, he was, you know, was in an ashtray. He was down the. Me.
1: He was down in the in the furnace grate. You know.
5: oh. Oh. So so, sort of like that. The question that I had was, um, you know, after mentioning the the whole congressional record thing, the other question was if he isn't an officer if he isn't a federal or civil officer the president then
1: what is he i mean it seems like it Yeah, it, 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 see, it seems abundantly o- i mean i think it's abundantly obvious to you to me to anybody with two functioning brain cells to rub together that officer includes president of the united states but we're back to that old bugaboo of interpreting the plain language of the statute.
5: Yeah, but nobody, nobody, look, nobody's asking that question, though. They ask an awful lot of questions, you know, um, but they don't say, well, if he isn't an officer, then what is he? Don't say president. That's not just what is he? So that's kind of where, you know, nobody's asking that question. Nobody's taking it. To that, you know, no one's taking it that additional step. Why? Why not? Why aren't they saying, well, I think, I think, think
1: once again, what,
5: what
1: think I think, I think, once again, we're dealing, and this is so easy to find. Um, and that's why I was impressed by the DC Circuit's opinion a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. They ran to Samuel, Samuel. Johnson's Dictionary of the English Language to get definitions from 1787. What people in 1787 understood given words to mean. And so an officer in 1866, 1869, takes in the president. Because during time, I mean, this this is just the kind of an argument that you might put together. An officer takes into account anyone who is oath-sworn to do their duty. Military officers take oaths, members of the House take oaths, judges take oaths, senators take oaths, presidents and vice presidents take oaths that may, that puts them within the universe of officers or office holders right so uh, the 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 argument and i think it's yeah, entirely but... specious put forward by nitwit nero's pettifogger is that the president is some sort of sui generis um, being mm-hmm who, by virtue of not being mentioned, does not fall within the statute. I don't think that's really where the problem lies, though, Darlene. I think the problem lies more profoundly in the silence of the uh, Section 4 of the 13th Amendment. Yeah, I agree. As to ballots and elections.
5: Yes. Oh, yes. I would agree with that. And it does seem like, you know, hindsight 2020, from where we're sitting, with what we've seen in the last several years, um, it seems obvious to us, you know, that it should have been mentioned. Why didn't they mention president or vice president? Um, So that lower court, Colorado, Judge, I don't know, Katanji Brown-Jackson seemed to be, 100% 100% siding with her that it's, it's not indicated. Um, and that's exactly what Trump wants. He wants to be too generous. He wants that. Um, that is just another stepping stone to him saying I'm a king. Um, but right. It's not that it says it's, it, it's just, it's just a poorly it's it's a poorly worded piece of junk, just like to a certain extent the 25th amendment is too. God, I, you know uh, I just oh God um, but just the, you know I and I do have for life to be honest, I do have trouble following the arguments the oral arguments with the Supreme Court. Saying back and forth and back and forth because it's like it stacks upon, you know, it stacks on other cases and things that I didn't have a chance to read and so on. So the moment Alito chimed in, I'm like, oh, this motherfucker, he is 100% trying to get it, um, keep Trump on that ballot. Um, so, As frustrating as it is, as messy as it is, um, I see their point um, that it's just going to be, you know, if one state says it and another state doesn't and, you know, kicks them off the ballot, another one doesn't. And we do have a mess, which is exactly what he's doing. And, again, we have chaos agents. On the Supreme Court, certainly in the Republican Party, and they just keep generating chaos. Um, But I do. You're not wrong. And I do think that um, I would be extremely worried and shocked if they take the full immunity. I don't. There's no need for them to do it. They gave him this, like, soft win, as somebody had said, uh, that wrote in, I don't know if you viewer or one of the listeners, the soft win, uh, which I think is a, is a good, you know, one way of putting it. And those, and again, it's women, these three women judges on the D.C. Circuit actually do the hard work and, like you said, look back at language and what is the meaning of this and that. We're paying almost $300,000 per Supreme Court justice. What the fuck do they do? I don't even think they really look at this shit. I don't think they really, you know, there was a meek, um, amicus uh, cherry briefs, some very compelling ones that were sent to the Supreme Court by historians um, and uh, constitutional experts. You have Luddick. Basically, is the granddaddy of most of them up there on the right, and it's like I don't think they read this shit. I, I think that they just fly by the seat of their pants. Um, I'm not saying all of them. I mean, I, I would I would think that um, KBJ does, but it's like, what the fuck are we paying them almost three hundred thousand dollars a pop to just? Do stupid politicized shit like this. I find it very. I'm, I, you know, I do you,
1: take away uh, okay, my okay. right. I, I'm you're, not, you know, you right. You know, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm no, not. Being, right. I'm not being flippant, Darlene. But it, it, and I say that because it might sound that way. I'm not. You don't actually think they write these opinions, do you? No,
5: I don't think that they do. No.
1: These opinions are written by... These
5: are females I don't think they even look at what's in front of them. I mean, you know, in terms of the briefs of the arguing attorneys, some do. You know, clearly um, the three so-called liberal ones, they, they do seem to actually read what the um, arguments are, the briefs. But we know... We know they've already got they, – we know that the majority of them have already come to that. We know Gorsuch, Pubes, Kavanaugh, Handmaid, they all have already come to that meeting with – to that hearing with their minds already made up.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, and that's that was the next point I was going to make is that – if you are one of the most puissant, dread sovereign, supreme Catholic majesties, those six, then all of your analysis is ends based. So, what you do is you look at your clerk who's fresh out of Yale or Stanford or Harvard, maybe UVA, and you say, Now, listen here. I want to shut down. Da- I want to shut down abortion. I want to overturn Roe v. Wade. Get busy. Kind of like when George W. Bush told, uh, "Oh, what was his name, Richard?" Uh, in the immediate aftermath of nine eleven, go out there and find me some evidence that this was Saddam. And he said, "Sir, mm-hmm. there's no evidence this was Saddam." Well, go out and find some. I mean, isn't that the, isn't the same mindset as Nitwit Nero calling Georgia and saying, listen, I just need you to find me 11,790 votes? Almost.
5: I mean, in one, in one um, instance, the attempt was to disenfranchise 81 million people. Um, which I don't know, that's pretty damned egregious. Um, or nullify our vote. Um, but he got away with it. I mean, if you want to talk about W, W led us, led us to Trump, right? I mean, without, without W, we wouldn't have Trump, right? pushing those boundary lines, and we wanted to see him impeached. I do remember that. And Nancy said no. She was Speaker of the House at that time, and she caught a lot of shit because um, we all thought it was an impeachable offense. She claims that the evidence was not there. P.S. She did have a good relationship with him. You like George Bush. So I don't know how much that factored in. Just saying.
1: I get it. I get it.
5: But maybe, maybe, maybe it was good she didn't. You know, I don't know. You know, now, again, hindsight 2020, looking at where we're at now, in the sense that um, clearly Bush could argue that that was under the purview of of, you know,
1: his discretion as president. Oh, and I wanted to go back to officer for a minute, because there's, a, there's another argument. I think it's kind of novel. I don't, I don't know if it was mentioned today. But there is one instance in which the president is most certainly an officer of the United States. And that is when he is in his role as Commander-in-Chief.
5: Commander-in-Chief.
1: Of the Armed Forces. And you may recall, I've had little low-rent conniptions on this program over the years about the abuse to which that phrase, Commander-in-Chief, is is, is exposed. The language of the Constitution says that he is Commander-in-Chief When the nation is at war. Right? Right. But he is referred to routinely in our mostly dipshit for profit media as Commander. Oh, and there goes the Commander in Chief. Uh, even even when we're not shooting at anybody Mm. and uh, article two section two is where the commander-in-chief language comes from the president shall be commander-in-chief of the army and navy of the united states and the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. Now, see, there's another perfect example of inexpert drafting. What does the phrase, when called into the actual service of the United States, modify? Mm
5: -hmm.
1: It modifies the militia of the several states. But the president, the president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States. It doesn't say anything about wartime. I was wrong in that regard. He is at all times commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States, and as such is an office holder of the United States. Yep. Commander-in-chief, commander-in-chief is a specific role that, 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 that in fact, Reflects the way the presidency was designed. You know, uh, when I when think, called into the actual think, service, the United yeah. States modifies militia of the several states. Right.
5: I do think I, I do think that probably the the strongest argument um, that was made. That, you know, rails against the state pushing this asshole off the ballot. Um, was uh, Chief Justice Ryan again, he's the, he's the brilliant one, right? I mean, he's the most brilliant <laughs> Republican. I think he was the one that raised the, the, that the whole 14th Amendment section was really about. Um, I think it was about um, I'm not using the right terminology here, but um is it the supremacy clause? It was more about keeping the states in states in check, uh, more or less I don't want to say taking away rights of the states, but um, not giving the states more power than than the feds. So the fact that this section three is in that under the Fourteenth Amendment, it was um, C.J. Roberts' contention that it's. It, it, it's not, it's a stretch to say that the states had more power or had the power to prevent somebody from going on to the ballot of, of the state and, and all the other states um, that's running for federal office, that it would, in a sense, supplant um, the federal government's authority. That this if this is the section that they if this if they put it under the 14th, then his argument is that it's it's not giving the state that kind of unilateral authority. You see, you understand what I'm saying? Did you pick up on that when he when he said that?
1: Yes, and uh, in, in in point of fact, and that's a tough one. Well, it is, but the thing is, that Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment also takes the states into account so that presumptively provides the right of the federal government to step in and say no sorry Uh, your new governor Jefferson Davis cannot be governor of Mississippi and and then who else would execute that it it, it by, except the federal government. I mean, I guess uh, this all this all gets so wrapped up in so many other concepts. But
5: it leaves us unsatisfied. <laughs> well it does. And, this is so unsatisfactory.
1: You know, Hold any yeah, office Putin civil say, or you know, military.
5: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. See, this is this is why I say <laughs> democracy no work. Itch. But uh, hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any state. Mm-hmm. If you stop and ponder that under any state language, well, that means that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andy Biggs and uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Ralph Norman and Matt Gates and Jim Shorts Jordan and, oh, who's that fucker from Pennsylvania? Should be out of a job. Carrie Lake in Arizona should be declared forever ineligible to hold any office in any federal or state position. Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley. Now, that would, I mean, do, do I think that it would inure to the best interests of the American people to purge that kind of filth from our civil governance? I do. Do I also think that would probably make the fuckers start shooting? I do. Do I wonder still how loyal the military of the United States is? I do. Especially Mm -hmm. when you've still got Oath Keepers and free percenters out there. Yeah, like you said, the
5: insurrection is still going on. Yeah. So we're subjected
1: to. I mean, how is how is that? I mean, granted, you know, it's 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 nineteen it's seriously. it's nineteen thousand uh, light years of dipshittery. But to the extent that they are trying to infringe upon the power of the federal government to uh, address issues relating mm-hmm. to borders, how is that stupid army of God convoy not? An act of insurrection. Ooh, there's a fun one. What do you think?
5: Well, yeah. They wanted to get, you know, uh, a lawyer, lawyer for Trump there had the audacity to say that, you know. They wanted to kind of know, know, you know, what is an insurrection, blah, blah, blah. Even Barbara McQuaid said that's a tougher one, but clearly it's pretty, it's pretty clear and straightforward. And I agree with her that, um, he's still, he still is an insurrectionist Trump because he gave aid and comfort and that, that, that is, that's there um, in terms of giving aid and comfort. That's pretty, that's, that's a pretty solid angle to take um, to go after him. Because even, you know, even if we were to say, well, he didn't actually go to the Capitol, even though he asked.
1: He sure he,
5: wanted to. He, he sure as hell wanted to now. The Supreme Court will probably say, well, that could be viewed as here. This is what, you know, um, Cassidy Hutchinson relayed to the January 6th committee that she was told by somebody in that car, uh, in the, in the, in the limo, presidential limo, and witnessing him lunging to choke, uh, one of the Secret Service officers. But clearly, I think it's it's less disputed uh, that he gave aid and comfort, and which he continues to give aid and comfort. The Colorado attorney had mentioned, uh, the attorney there for Colorado said, you know, we're we're taking him at what he said, you know, the things that he has said as well, you know, that Trump has actually said. Um, so I think the aid and comfort angle is, is the thing to focus on that really cooks his goose. And there was a disruption. There was a massive disruption, which I believe Katanji Brown-Jackson brought up, because, you know, but for the um, determination of Nancy Pelosi (laughs) and Mitch McConnell, because I think Mitch was the majority leader at the time, was he not? Yes, um but for the determination of both of those two leaders of their respective houses, um, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to do the um, to do the certifications, but both of them agreed we're doing this. No matter you know once the you know assuming they got out of little alive, which thank goodness they did, I think they were there what at four a m in the morning, certifying also, we can't forget the brave young people who grabbed that box full of the ballots um ballots, i guess for lack of a better term ballots, and hauled that thing to safety. Otherwise, he he succeeded. He succeeded in disrupting the you know a con- constitutional governance. He succeeded in and almost permanently succeeded in in stopping the workings of of our constitutional governance. He he delayed it certainly delayed it several hours. And kept doing that, and it wasn't until enormous pressure was was put on him. But moreover, when he realized, I think when he realized they had lost, um, that you know, basically the capital managed to hold out
1: just barely. All right, and and even the even the hair splitting over was it a riot or an insurrection? I think the fact well, that, that
5: bullshit. Fucking
1: bitch. Yeah, I know it, it oh. got all over me. Um, and and oddly enough, Ken, in, in, bad Ken, hair Ken, day. <laughs> Ken, yeah, Ken up in uh, Erie is asking the same or making the same ob, opera, uh, observation. Uh, was not Stuart Rhodes? Yeah, <laughs> you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Bang! Yeah, you did, didn't you? Uh, was Stuart Rhodes not convicted, regardless of his presence? Yes. And so was Enrique Tario. And in the case of Stuart Rhodes, he was convicted of seditious conspiracy, and he's doing 30 years.
5: Well, that's the other scary thing, because, and, that's, that's, and in some respects, that scares me more, I think, than anything else, because there's that case that I believe the Supreme Court is supposed to hear on whether or not all of those cases against the insurrectionists were actually founded, or you know, are actually founded on sound legal arguments and legal principles because it was based on the Enron case Mm -hmm. of the disruption of I think it was dis- originally disruption of the corporate proceedings, right? Right. That was a, that was applied in the case of January 6th to all of those hundreds of cases. And apparently that that's being challenged and that's going before the Supreme Court. Um, and I'm scared to death that they're going to turn around.
1: And turn the the fuckers loose the way that Ollie North won his appeal. You
5: got it. And take their fucking junkets starting in July. I'm scared to death that they're going to do that. Because this is a court, a SCOTUS, that loves to leave our nation in social and political chaos when their session ends and they take their little summer break.
1: You're not wrong,
5: and I'm afraid they're
1: gonna.
5: I'm afraid they're gonna set those fuckers loose.
1: Well, we've got it. We got it. We got. I was gonna say we've got a lot of people who have chimed in on the idea of officer Uh, Stephen New York. uh, The president as officer. What about when we refer to him as the chief executive officer, i.e., the chief executive of the United States, or as he was referred to by George Washington? The chief magistrate. There's no way a magistrate isn't an officer. Uh, and uh, Steve remind us, reminds us Trump at the Ellipse. Trump said he was going to join them at the Capitol in his speech on the Ellipse. He did. And then, then came the ketchup. Mm-hmm. Tom in sunny San Rafael, wouldn't an officer be defined as a person who holds an office? From Article 2, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of 4 years to mean that to me that plain language means the president is an officer of the united states you're absolutely right tom and then just for fun because the dc circuit did this i decided it would be fun to do it myself i went back to samuel johnson's dictionary now This would be not at the time of the framing of the the 14th Amendment, including Section 3, but it was probably still in use to one degree or another. Officer, one, a man employed by the public. And he used a lot of Shakespeare (laughs) quotes. "'Tis an office of great worth, and you and officer fit for the place." Or in Coriolanus... Mm -hmm. Submit you to the people's voices, allow their officers, and be content to suffer lawful censure. Or, uh, as a magistrate or great officer, he locks himself up from all approaches. That's from South's Sermons, uh, 1634 to 1716. Traveled in Europe during Cromwell attacked independence Presbyterians rationalized oath to William and Mary as a but I find that particularly useful as a magistrate yeah. or great officer well chief magistrate
5: yeah yeah so I mean if he isn't that then what the hell is he and I'm not gonna say well she because until we get a woman president I ain't giving that any credit oh you know she or he isn't. You can try no. to say you know if she becomes no no fuck that until we actually get a woman president don't take credit for it um yeah so if he is if he isn't an officer then what the fuck is he what is he
1: Katanji, what is he yeah well I I, I don't quite understand I, think, I don't get where she was. I think she. I think she was setting a tiger trap. I'm sorry. Say
5: that again.
1: I think she was setting a tiger trap. She wanted she, by asking that question from her side of the bench. Look! Look what! Look what she got the the geniuses of the multimillionaire for profit media to do. Even Katanji Brown Jackson seemed skeptical. Or perhaps she was inviting that that uh, And and she knows what a shitbird that lawyer is. Uh, She was inviting him to step into her lair. I mean, why doesn't it say president? Because it doesn't have to. Because it says officer. And there is no way that the president of the United States is not an officer. There is nothing to suggest in the constitutional text that he is sui generis. He is not, among other things, he is not royalty. He does not hold his office by blood or inheritance. The idea of a monarch was rejected after Alexander Hamilton first ran it up the flagpole, and everybody said, fuck you, kid.
5: And it was reaffirmed by George Washington when they tried to make him a monarch, and he said, no fucking way. Yes. Uh, I felt she was being snarky because she, she started off a little bit with, you know, she mentioned textualism. You know, almost like, you know, all of these guys sitting here on my right are all textualists. Well, it doesn't say it. So what, you know, I don't know, it seemed like she was prodding or goading something, or maybe not. You know, maybe she was being, you know, straightforward. It isn't in there. How do we how do we how do we deal with that? Why is it in there? It says electors of president a vice president. How come you didn't use that argument? I think she asked him. Well, that's not as strong an argument or something like that, I think. Well I mean,
1: as we know as we know, Elena Kagan set a tiger trap for him and he walked right into it. And that mm-hmm. and and that's what made Sammy Badrath have to come and save his bacon. Oh to be o oh, to be a fly Kevin. on the oh, to be a fly on the wall in that building right now. I mean we know there's probably there's at least two and probably three for sure votes in favor of Nitwit Nero. Fappy Thomas, Sammy Bad Breath, and Gorsak. Yep. Kavanaugh, I
5: think, too. He
1: seemed a little dicey. Yeah, Kavanaugh was squishy on this, but But again, let's remember, this is still a case of first impression. And Mm -hmm. they don't want to rule on it. And the easiest way not to rule on it is to say, there's nothing in here about ballots. There's nothing in here about elections. This case is not right. Okay, this is the ultimate off-ramp. This case is not ripe for adjudication. Because ripeness is a primary doctrine of the of of Supreme Court appellate practice, the case must be decisionally ripe. He's not even the nominee, and in point of fact, Darlene, I got to thinking about it the other day when I first the story came out uh, about uh, Nikki Haley saying that she objected to them to the RNC making him. Uh, calling him the presumptive nominee, because you can't do that until he has the actual votes, even though there's more primaries coming. When it becomes mathematically, you know, when she's mathematically eliminated, he'll be the presumptive nominee. But I can't help wondering if somewhere along the way somebody said, you know, maybe we don't want to make him the presumptive nominee yet. Because remember, the RNC backed away from this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would have been strategically unadvantageous to make him the presumptive nominee, because then it might have been closer to being ripe for decision. And if they issue, a, I could be wrong, but if they issue, a, if they issue a, a, a decision, right quick, like quick like bunny, they can say this is not ripe right for decision. And it has no business here. Because remember, when it, when when the Supreme well, Court when the Supreme Court agrees to take a case, it doesn't mean that they agree with the case. But, it means that they want to issue some sort of ruling on it. And so they've had. Let, let's remember when we're talking about Supreme Court practice. It is, the rules of it are Byzantine. I mean, there's printers involved, it's a mess. And you've got to designate the record. And so, uh, this these arguments were scheduled, okay? But just because the date of the arguments are announced doesn't mean that the cases are not already being poured over. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Those clerks who have been uh, given their ends-based decision-making marching orders by the by our most puissant, dread, sovereign, supreme Catholic majesties have probably been hard at work all along. And nobody ever talks about this, but the justices aren't sitting up there just winging questions at, at counsel. They have already thought about this. They may even have circulated initial impressions.
5: Right.
1: So it's not... Yeah, some telegraphing may be taking place, Darlene, but it's also a function of them talking to each other. Maybe some tea leaf reading stuff for the multimillionaire for-profit media. But it's also a product of what they understand about the record thus far. And the questions are to either support or poke holes in the position of one or the other of the litigants. I'm just not... I'm not going to sit in sackcloth and ashes if they say he can stay on the ballot. It would be nice, but uh, and by the way, it was Scott Perry in Pennsylvania, and they're trying to use the 14th against him up there. Probably won't work any better mm-hmm. than it worked against Andy Biggs or it worked against Marjorie Taylor Greene, which is which is sad. Well,
5: well, and there, well, and speaking of them, there's Gates and all of them trying to remove the disability.
1: Yeah, but I don't even know if they knew they were doing that. You
5: know,
1: they're not going to get a two-third. Oh, get two third. They're not going to get two thirds. Did.
5: <laughs> right, <laughs> again, it's following that Fourteenth Amendment Section Three which presupposes that a disab- that he has a disability ie that he is an insurrectionist and that he needs to be remote so it's a cell phone
1: and see they I really they that- really, they can't introduce a formal uh, 14th Amendment section 3 disability bill because in order to do that they would have to acknowledge that he was an insurrection an insurrectionist because otherwise there's no need to lift the disability. I mean, they're 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 not the sharpest the sharpest knives in the toaster. No, and, and frankly, they, have, they, they no one... they've constructed their own Kobayashi Maru.
5: Mm-hmm. With everything you you said, the Supreme Court also knows what's coming through the pipeline as well. Yes. So, I mean, to whittle it down. Simple terms, to me, they gave him a win on this. They don't need to even look at the full um, the the, um, the full presidential immunity case, which I think he's got until Monday to file that um, with the with the Supreme Court to have him look at it. The, the the DC three judge panel is going to say, hey, you know, um, this is not going to stop the lower court um, judge Chuckin from moving forward.
1: And if if, if they in if terms of they, going
5: yeah. with the on, if they file it with the Supreme Court, yes, but if he tries to do an on banc, try to get the en banc, with the full, they're not gonna, that's not going to delay.
1: That's what I was going to say. The on um, the on doesn't yep. help him.
5: It's not going to help them. So again, they're 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 sniffing him right off. <laughs> the mushroom sucker. <laughs> <a> delay. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, but really, they did the hard work, and quite honestly. They they saved the SCOTUS from actually having to decide that because they don't have to take it. And if they do take it, then what the hell are they playing at? So here, if I'm right about splitting the baby, they gave him this small win, keep the fucker on the ballot in all the states. Um and they look the other way and they don't take the full immunity case because... Their own preservation is also there. Number one, you give full immunity to someone like Trump. Their time is limited. And P.S. Even though we know he won't do it, but that means Joe Biden could say, "I dissolve the Supreme Court right now."
1: Yeah, but but here's because the, here's the, th-
5: here's,
1: the here's the thing about my ripeness argument. You've heard, and I know you heard it in law school a million times, hard cases make bad law. And this is a hard case. This is not the case you want to – this is not the case that you want to build no. Supreme Court precedent on because there are too many moving parts. And so if they rule that this thing yeah. is not decisionally right because he is not an office holder – Not that he wasn't one, but that he isn't one. You know, this isn't some sort of damnatio memoriae exercise where they're going to go back and strike down everything. that that God knows. This is anticipatory. This is speculative. In point of fact, they're asking the Supreme Court for the one thing that the Supreme Court absolutely says we will not fucking do, and that is to offer an advisory opinion. Right. And if, if I were if I were them, I probably would offer up a nine to nothing decision that the case is not ripe and just boot it because then both sides can claim victory.
5: What well, are we talking about? Which case are we talking about? The the fourteenth yeah the fourteenth like, amendment 15? case yeah right okay right yeah um, even though. You know, if I heard Gorsuch right, he still thinks Trump's the real office holder, which probably, you know, Jimmy's best friend also thinks he's still the office holder. Jimmy's best friend.
1: Yeah, best, bestie. You know, I mean, besties. I'm being, you
5: know, i a little facetious here, but yeah, but to me, the split. You know, this is an easy way for them to split the baby. Give give Trump the win on this thing, or well, being on the ballot, so you know he can you know because this society is a sick society, um, so you know we're going to be subjected to this crazy person for as long as he wants to, you know, subject us to his his craziness um, because it's a, a very ill, sick culture and the sick political everything is sick. <laughs> Um, and we have to listen to this guy, and it's making us all mentally unwell. Um, And the Supreme Court just loves that. I think they're fine with that Um, because none of this touches them. But if you give full presidential immunity, there's, you know, it's calling into question their own existence. Eventually, because if a a president has full immunity, they can stop at nothing. Now, the other case, like I said, is that Enron-based one that's really scary. I don't know, know. I'm very worried about that one because they could turn around and just set all those fuckers free. And what do they care? I'm paying. You're paying for marshal protection of all of the Supreme Court justices, right? I mean, they have federal marshals protecting their asses 24-7. They're safe. Yeah. So to me, the very foundation of their existence is, is really hinges on this full immunity a uh, full presidential immunity case. And this three-judge panel did a fantastic job giving Supreme Court one hell of an easy out. We don't need to say anything more here. But I think they need at least four justices that want to hear it. So probably two of them at least. That three might be the other one. So we know Gorsuch is a possibility, Alito, and Thomas. I don't know what the fuck they're going to argue, but we know Lito's a fucking misogynist. So, you know, you've got the three judge panel women. Worst of all, an Asian woman, an older woman, and a black woman. (laughs) So, who knows how they're going to do that. But this, this is how I see it going, and, again, I think the, the, the true unknown is what they're going to do with the insurrectionists and that Enron-based um, case law that they base um, incarcerating and, and um, charging them with, with insurrection that they, they um, interfered with a, um, a constitutional mandated proceeding. It's what the lawyers had to work with what the DOJ had to work with so they went with that but I, I I, fear that the SCOTUS will look at that and say yeah this really isn't on point you shouldn't have done that let him free Now we don't have anything to worry about because they're going to like us anyway because we set them free and we've got the federal marshals protecting our asses anyway that's my fear but um, yeah Oops. So anyway, I just wanted to weigh in on that. Um, and I better get going. I got I to get dinner ready for my four, four-legged furry puffs.
1: How are um, they?
5: One of which, oh, it's been brutal. Um, Alfie went into cardiac arrest uh, January 19th. Uh, started wheezing. I said, what the hell's going on? Oh, uh, close to four thousand dollars later. <laughs> uh, somehow he managed to survive it. And he had to go up to upstate in um, Albany is the best in the region for heart issues. Um, so his heart did stop, uh, but started up again. But his lungs filled with fluid, and oh geez, so um, it's been grueling. Um, finally got back to eating. That took at least solid two weeks of hard work and effort. Um, unfortunately, the kidney disease, um, is contraindicated with the heart disease. So in order for me to treat his heart, I can no longer treat his kidneys, uh, or support the kidneys with the IV fluid.
1: Oh, what a, what a, what oh, a, so, what a, what a, oh, what a hell of spot a spot. Yeah. yeah.
5: So I thought I was convinced that he was—he was a goner. As a matter of fact, but the the doctors up at us were pushing for me to put him down. Um, and I said, "Let's give him a few more hours." And um, on a Saturday, let's give him a few more hours. And sure enough, she called me at five o'clock and she said, "He's making a turnaround. He's eating." He's doing really well out of the oxygen tent. He's transferred very well off of the IV med to the orals. Uh, you can take him home tonight. And I said, well, let's keep him overnight one more night. And um, my brother um, and his wife went to pick him up because it's a two-hour trek up to Albany. And he's been home. And um, I had him go to the vet again. I thought he's not coming home. He keeps coming back. So he's here. He wants to eat. Um, I don't know how long the kidneys are going to last, but he is a 16-year-old dog. <laughs> so, But he's not ready to go. He, he He's tough. He is tough. And as a matter of fact, the odd thing is that really the doctors were quite impressed with was the fact that the whole time that he was in medical crisis with his heart and lungs, his breathing rate. Never got out of the normal range. He, he was breathing normally the entire time. So Lisa, that is very interesting. So uh, they tell me to track his breathing rate, but I don't know how the hell that's going to tell me anything because he's breathing normally <laughs> when he's in in distress. So uh, cardiac arrest and everything else. I mean, you know, the temporary, obviously, he's permanent yet. But it's been crazy. And just to make the medicines, I got a force feed in the meds and press the meds. And, oh, my God, that takes a long time. It takes even longer than the IV. So um, I'm trying to get the medication compounded, and that was a whole other ordeal. But it's hard. It's so hard. Um, I was so freaking depressed that Saturday. I said, oh, my God, he's never coming back and having to make that decision. But he's here. He's still going. Um, the, you know, they said the prognosis is poor, but he's still going. He wants to eat. He's hungry. Uh, he's doing well with the meds. Um, and at this point, I'm going to keep going with him. Um, but they say dogs that have this, I think they last four to six months. Um, and I think that's not having kidney disease. So at this point, I'm doing what I can. Um, but I can, you know, the IV fluid it's too taxing for the heart so and he's got severe valve disease so it's 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 a lot to take in so I think this this is my little guy's last hurrah Aww. but I know he's getting he's getting the best care I think he, he, I don't think anyone would do what I'm doing so I'm you know he's getting the best care I can manage and I'm doing it all from a, a freaking power chair which is not easy. And no. you know, sometimes these, sometimes these doctors need to listen because I kept saying, I want you to continue to give him his phosphorus binding agent, and they kept saying, no, it's not going to work, no, it's not going to matter. I said he really needs to have that phosphorus binding agent um, for his kidneys, and they're like, no, he won't eat any food, he won't blah blah blah. It's not going to matter. His creatine levels are fine, blah blah blah. Fuckers should listen to me because it took me two. Solid weeks to get him eating again. It was because his body filled up with phosphorus, and in order for him to to get that out of his system to eat, he has to have that binding agent and then poop it out. <laughs> and if he's not eating much, he's not pooping much. He's not, you know. So it's a, it's a cyclical problem, and I've been through this before. And finally, he started pooping, and he's eating. So he's getting all that excess phosphorus out of them. So, you know, it's really hard when you have vets that claim to be experts. They're all not ganging up on you, but, you know, refuting you. And even though you're right, because you know you're animals. (laughs) So that's the one complaint I have. Um, They did a great job. they, They managed to keep him alive. But they should have listened to me on that because that wreaked havoc in my life because it was hard getting him back to a place where he would eat. And, and oh, without course, a doubt. Well, you're, drunk. You're,
1: you're, you're, you're getting sympathy because I just got a note from Matt in San Francisco. I had to euthanize my, my oh. chihuahua Patsy yesterday. It was a rough day. She was oh. 13 years old, and oh she was named God. after my mom. Oh.
5: I'm so sorry.
1: And another member of I'm the so sorry. another member of the Horn Family Community Congregation is saying belo- uh, uh, goodbye tomorrow to one of their beloved fur babies, and it's just—I mean, I—it hmm.
5: is the hardest thing. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I am hoping. We'll go peacefully in his sleep, of course, you know, like my cousin said, we all want that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, that's, that's what I've been, I'm so freaking overwhelmed. It's not even funny with, with the care, the level of care that's required. I am, I am literally overwhelmed. So, um, but, you know, I'm gonna keep him going for as long as he wants to go. He's a little fighter. He's a tough, strong little shit. My God. He just wants to keep keep going. So, um yeah. So I better get I gotta I gotta grind up for food. I gotta do all that, so I better get going and I'll listen to the rest of the program. But I just wanted to weigh in on that. Oh, I'm glad you um, did.
1: It was a, it was a wonderful conversation and I thank you for it.
5: You're welcome. I'm um, gonna. I'm, I think I'm, I think I think
1: I think I'm gonna um, leave this topic and just wrap up with a fun little story of my adventure today.
5: Uh, All right, cool. So I will. Um, I will sign off and listen to your adventure. All right, Robin, Waxie.
1: <laughs> Darlene, thank Roxy. you.
5: Thank you. Talk to you soon.
1: Have a good evening and uh, give give Alfie you a little too. kiss, a little kiss or a little pat on the head.
5: Oh, he's, he's cute. He's he's he's. I don't feel he's strong enough yet for a grooming. He's supposed to get it tomorrow, so he's going to be happy he's not having to go through grooming. <laughs> I'm deferring it until next week. So well,
1: it's, it's All funny right, the, well, the, the, thank you. You're more than welcome. Take care, Darlene. Bye now.
5: All right. Bye bye.
1: Good little Alfie. Uh, it, it's it's amazing how they learn schedules and everything. When I run overtime back here, uh, the golden one, Mr. Golden Hair, Shadow, uh, begins getting antsy when it gets past 8 o'clock. Because auntie, auntie, Auntie says, I love you and I'll be back, and disappears for about three and a half hours. And when it turns into more than three and a half hours, he starts getting antsy and... You would have, you, and and when I do go through the door back into the house, you'd think I'd been gone. You'd think I'd been gone for a year. Uh, he he runs to me, and he's so happy. And I'm happy. He is he is a happiness machine. I mean, you you can't just not you just can't. I mean, yeah. Pet talk with Roxanne and Darlene. I'm so sorry, Matt. I know how it hurt. I really do. Um, Mocha was near 20. So, G. Roxanne, what did you do earlier today? Well, I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and uh, poured a blazing hot hot latte down my throat decaf helps even you don't even have to have the caffeine it just perks you up got ready got out the door at a quarter to seven now bear in mind charleston isn't even 50 miles from here but it's all two lane road and the first seven miles of it are winding and you can't make any time at all on the mountain But I got to a little community called Glasgow, not that Glasgow. This is, there's a Glasgow, Kentucky. There's a Glasgow, West Virginia. There are little spots on the side of the road. And I didn't realize that at sunup, it would be road work season. And so having left at a quarter to seven, I arrived at 15 past eight for an 8.30 meeting. You have to park about a million miles away and then walk to the Capitol. Then you got to go through security, and then there's another hike inside the Capitol building. And I literally got there as they had closed the door, and I said, but I want it too late. So I went up to the gallery and I watched. And the people who spoke did a beautiful job. You may recall the... You may recall the adventure two weeks ago when the good, god fear, and upstanding Bible-believing, Christ-centered, evangelical, fundamentalist, amosexual uh, Christian woman used the word pussy in the House of Delegates on no less than nine occasions. I still get requests to play that mashup again. Well, um, one of the women on our side said, you know, I just realized in the last hearing it's okay to say pussy in this body. And I want to tell you that for a women's bill of rights, this thing is sure going rough on the pussy. And went from there, and people were clutching their sides trying not to laugh out loud. Poor Tom Fast was, and I say poor Tom Fast because he's poor of mind, poor of spirit. Uh, was just flabbergasted but then again this is a guy who heard the word cunnilingus used in a a court case and used it himself several times and eventually said to the court I don't even know what that word means to which uh, at which one woman audibly stage whispered to another his poor wife so it was a moment but I didn't get to speak but I did I did uh, talk a little bit with some of the uh, other folks there especially the young ones and they were a joy to meet and on the way out because my life I got cornered by a christer I'm not going to call her a christian because well it became obvious, but she wanted to know what my problem with the bill today was—the women's bill of rights. And I said, "Well, we can start with the fact that it does nothing. To, it does nothing to extend rights to women. There's nothing in there about equal pay. There's nothing in there about solving the child care crisis. There's nothing in there about making sure that." Uh, women have access to appropriate medical care. Nothing in there about restoring a woman's right to bodily autonomy and not be forced to carry some uh, carry something within her that she does not want. And then she said, well, I'd like to invite you to, and pulls out a pamphlet. And I said, don't. That's lost on me. Well, it just shows you how to be a Christian. I said, I know how to be a Christian. I was dipped by the heel in that stuff. And as long as people like you are what the face of Christianity is, I want nothing to do with it. And then she went through the spiel that I'm sure she's been taught at her, uh, at, her at her gospel sharp uh, installation to use with the heathens. And she, Those of you who know what it is will be like, oh, really? She even tried to trot out Pascal's wager to me. I was like, "Oh wait, that's Pascal's wager," and she says, "Who?" I said, "Yeah, that's a long discredited uh, tautology." What? I said, "See what I mean? It's all lost on me. I've studied it. I know what it's about, and I know that there is no uh, there is no no hate like Christian love. But it came with its own reward." because I was standing there talking to her and I said so where do you want trans? obviously you're obsessed with trans people in the potty this is a public building owned by we the people of West Virginia and even trans West Virginians are West Virginians and Montani semper liberi. Mountaineers are always free. But this bill says that trans West Virginians are not always free when it comes to where they void their bladders and bowels. I was kind of getting to do my little my little speech just to an audience of one, uh, one, one maggot god botherer. I said. Should a trans person who wants to come and exercise their First Amendment right to free speech just not drink anything or eat anything for three hours before they come here and then pray God they don't have to pee while they're here? What bathroom do you want them to use? Because every bathroom in this building is gendered. Well, just not. I I said, come on. Which bathroom do they do you want them to use? Well, I mean whatever their biological sex is. I said trans people who are on hormones have the biological sex of the sex that they're living. No, I meant their chromosomes and I said show me a chromosome. Tell me about the first time you ever saw a chromosome. Tell me about how you perceive all the chromosomes around you that you run into every day. You might run into people that appear quite masculine, but have two X chromosomes. You might run into someone who appears quite feminine, but has a Y chromosome. It's really not useful. And then without... I said... Here, let's make this easy. Where do you want me to use the restroom? And she said, well, you'd use the ladies' restroom like the rest of us. Yes! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I looked at her and I said, honey, I'm trans. But you just gutted your own bill. You think I should go to the men's room, do you? Really? Well, I mean, I thought, uh, uh yeah, right. You couldn't perceive my chromosomes, could you, hon? I mean, I was not kindly, I was not mean to her. But I was not particularly kindly disposed to her arguments especially after she said "Well, if you just watch this one video by Ken Ham and I did I laughed in her face I said you're kidding right that Australian grifter from Kentucky who's sucking off the public teat with a young earth creationist theme park and playground where Adam and Eve ride their dinosaur to church every day and you probably know what was playing in my head at exactly that moment. This. And on the third day, God created the Remington bull action rifle, so that man could fight the dinosaurs and the homosexuals. homosexuals. Amen. Amen. And so she was. She was completely wrong-footed. And then I just decided to put a little bow on it all, and I said, ma'am, unlike you, oh, thank you, Micah, all caps, yes, 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 I know. I said, ma'am, unlike you, I don't think there's pie in the sky when I die. And I'm not interested in a God who loves me so much that if I don't worship Him, He's prepared a lake of eternal torment and everlasting fire for me because He loves me so much. And I threw in a smattering of uh, referring to Jesus as "they" two or three times. She's probably still thinking about it, but at the end she said, "But I said, so I don't think there's I don't think there's pie in the sky when I die like you do. Uh, my life is finite and precious and." I've already wasted way too much of it on you, so I'll bid you good day, madam. And she said, well, God bless. I'll pray for you. I said, don't. If I think for an instant you are, I will light a candle to Satan in your name. Because Satan is as imaginary as your great big bearded sky daddy. and took my leave. But apparently the goddess of irony was not done with me yet because okay, let me set the stage. Today when I got up and got dressed it was cold. So I wore a pair of cable knit sweater tights a charcoal gray wool sweater dress kind of bodycon con and a pair of black knee-high boots because they're really comfortable. And I was put together. One of the one of the young ones said, oh, God, Miss Robin's always so put together, and I was just like, oh, I love you. And then she said, I want to be like you when I grow up. And I was like, ooh, no, don't. You want to be you. Uh, but anyway, I left, and... I knew I wasn't going to be going by Kroger's or anything. And so as I came up the mountain, I stopped at a little grocery store called Grant's in Smithers. Curiously, in the middle of the day, I did not get held up in traffic. Thanks. Maybe the goddess of irony set all of this up so that I could witness to the believer. But I pull up to Grant's. It used to be a Kroger's. Before that, it was a penny fare. It's been there for eons. It's right near where my grandmother Welch jumped out of a burning car being driven by my father's Mother, don't jump. Mother, mother. But she panicked. That old Dodge, that, that at the time, new Dodge station wagon caught fire somehow. Dad was negotiating it over to the side of the road. This is before I was born. And she went bailing out of the car and broke her leg going down the hill. Right there at that grocery store. This is the kind of stuff that lives in my memory. But anyway, I pulled in because I needed a, needed a half gallon a half and a half. And so I went swanning through Grants. There was a group of women at a at a fold-out card table with a bunch of T-shirts all over them. And I said hi, and they said hi. And I went in, and I got my half and half, and I came back out. And so that's when they gave me the pitch. Would you like to help us in our effort to help people recover from addiction? And I was like, really? The Jesus people twice in a row? Why? But I decided I had my fun for the day, and I said, well, tell me about your program. She gives me a little flyer, and she says, if you know anybody in need of help, we'll be right there. And she wasn't proselytizing or trying to save my soul or anything. And I said, well, thank you. She said, would you like to buy a T-shirt? I said, ah, none of that's really my style, but here, let me give you a couple of bucks. And I took two 2 dollar bills because I got, a, I got, I got more one dollar bills in my wallet right now. Not that, I mean, there's just like 15 of them. <laughs> Looks like I work at a strip joint. All those ones. Uh, I know, playing in my head, Stephen New York says, the Flintstones theme. Absolutely. Uh, But I gave her a couple of bucks and said, you know, good luck, do good work. And went about my way, and I was standing there getting into the car, and all of a sudden this about my age blonde woman comes Fast walking up to me, and she's got something in her hand. I'm like, please don't be, a, please, please. I was thinking of Scott. Don't let it be a chick publications tract. Just that's too much. And instead, she hands me a sticky, a post-it note. And she said, "I just felt led to give you this." And she hands me this post-it note. And written on it in pink sharpie are the words, you are so very beautiful. And a heart. Oh! I went, well, thank you. That's so kind. And she said, you just are. You're breathtaking. And I said, "Well, this all washes off. And we, she said... And I took a moment said, oh, by the way, I'm running for office if you're in this district. She says, I live, in, I live in Beckley, so she's not. But I went to school at Tech just down the road in West Virginia Tech, which is no longer a going concern. I said, well, uh, at the same time, I was going through Harvard on the Mon. I'm a proud daughter of West Virginia University. She said, oh, how nice, and not in a shitty way. And I said, well, thank you. And she said, again, you're really beautiful. And I said, well, you've made my day and got in my car and ran up the mountain as fast as I could. <sighs> I don't even know what to make of that. But it's almost, I don't know, it was almost like a counterpoint to the God-botherer I ran across in in Charleston. So that was my little adventure. I'm sure there will be some other ugly-ass transphobic bill, and this time I'll take the damned road construction into account, and instead of leaving at quarter to seven, I'll leave at 6.15. <sighs> well, that way, if I get to Charleston early enough, I can have breakfast. Jeez. Thanks, everybody. We had a goose egg today. So the fundraising goal for the first full week of, of, of February on our Friday on the front porch will be 11.50. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to our PayPal and Patreon subscribers. Thank you to our a la carte contributors, our challenge makers, the people who respond to the challenges. Thank you. Uh, I presume Ralphs will carry her challenge over. It's not often that one of her challenges goes three days without being touched. Thanks to each and every one of you who share your precious finite time engaging with this program in whatever manner you so choose. That that, that, that is, I'm so sincere when I say that. I mean that to the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you to our all-volunteer staff. Thank you, Roger, in the chat room. Thank you to our news ninjas. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa, head on dot live. Remember, podcasts love reviews and comments. With just a few just a, uh, just a few keystrokes, you can make it possible for more people to see this program pop up as something they might like to check out. Like, subscribe, comment, review, what have you. It's more appreciated than you know by me and by the rest of the community. Thank you, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. Thanks to the hardest-working, bravest people I know, the folks at Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net, 20-plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia, and a proud union shop. Please stay safe. Get your booster. Get your RSV vaccine. Get your flu shot. Get your pneumonia vaccine if you're eligible. If you're around maggots, wear your mask. Or mine live to tell the tale wash your hands, don't touch your face use your hand sanitizer maintain your social distance as best you can and if the uh, if orange Julius geezer comes towards you on the sidewalk and say, I know we don't want to but we're going to have to address the supreme court well avoid nitwit Nero like the plague because he is always 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 Gina it's all for you oh no one last thing Uh, note coming in from Cynthia in the bay area namely Yeah, there we go. Uh Cynthia said a little bit ago, I'm with Ann Coulter on Trump. Die. Choke on a cheeseburger or something. I may be a terrible person for it, but I'm not the one wishing it. No, you're just you're associating yourself with Ms. Coulter's remarks, Cynthia. Robin Kincaid is an insurrectionist. <laughs> Okie doke. Thanks, Liv. Okay. So, yeah. It's all for you, Gina. Love you, Wayne. Later.